Turn your Bibles this morning to Genesis 1-1. Somebody once said, if you can believe Genesis 1-1, you can believe the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and knowing him as a creator is one of the sweetest parts of my walk with him. Uh, I was never an atheist, and I, I, I've met some. I, I feel sorry for them that they can't, they can't conceive that all of, all of nature and everything that we enjoy was actually in someone's heart, that he imagined it. He meditated on it. He composed it. He composed every bird's song. Every sunset, every sunrise, every ecosystem, every little insect, everything that is, everything that we see and smell and enjoy, the smells. The sailors, when they were coming toward America for the first time, they, I read one time where the pilgrims, they, they got close enough they could smell out to sea, miles out to sea, Pine trees, pine trees being carried by the wind, the smell of pine, and they knew that lamb was ahead. And that smell, the smell of a pine tree, all of that was in God's heart. He meditated on it. We don't know how long that took, but as the creator, his, his power for creation, for creating, was in his imagination, he meditated. He thought about it from every angle. If I do this, it'll cause this. It'll, it'll have this ripple effect. And he thought it all through like an architect, like a master planner. Nothing was left to chance. It was all conceived, all wonderfully thought through, through the power of meditation and the imagination of God. And then the time came when it needed to be brought forth, and so the way he did that is he spoke it. He spoke it into existence. And I believe, I believe it's literal. I believe it's a day. I believe every part of it, it's a 24-hour it's a period. It's, a, it's an actual day that he spoke, and whole worlds came into being. And uh, knowing him to be that beautiful and that powerful and that organized, that thoughtful. If you've ever looked at a snowflake under a microscope, you see how, how intricate, how profoundly laid out it is. I mean, it's not just this glob. It's, it's, it's more perfectly designed than any house you've ever seen. It's an amazing structure. And all that was in his heart. No wonder when you get in your deer stand, you, you get out there and you feel close to God. No wonder there's a pull, a magnetic pull, no matter who you are, that you have to get to the ocean every now and again. There's this pull that there's just something therapeutic about sitting by the ocean. I think the reason you're feeling what you're feeling is because all of that was in the heart of God. And when he breathed it, his breath, his spirit, is in that, in creation, in nature, 
And so you can, you, you look at a flower, you look at a butterfly, and something comes over you, this wonderful sense, this peace, this connectedness. And the reason for that is it was all in his heart. You're, you're sensing something of his heart. I fell into a beautiful habit this summer. Uh, I don't know why I hadn't done it before. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm surprised that I hadn't done it before. But here we live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. I mean, I took people from here to, to Geneva, Switzerland, and, and, and we saw the, the beautiful lake that Geneva, the city of Geneva at the end of a long, narrow lake, just like here. And there's meadows and pastures with cows, dairy cows on the hillsides and grape vineyards on both sides. And we looked at each other and thought, this is, this is no more beautiful than anything we've seen back home. I mean, we live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world. And, and so this summer, every, uh, almost every evening tide, uh, I would go down to Cuca Lake to the park, to the state park, take my lawn chair and my Bible, and I would just go down there and catch the sunsets. And, and I, I was so, so surprised that just after a few times, after I parked my car and I'd start walking that long, slopey lawn down toward the shore, I'd get down toward the shore, and this peace would overcome me. This peace would hit my heart that, that I, this ah, oh, <laughs> this sense of ah, oh, I'm home, I'm at rest, and and you couldn't budge me from it. It was just such a wonderful... Here I've lived here all these years and haven't made as much of the lakes as, as I should have and tapped into that. It's it just such a wonderful thing, something I already look forward to. God is a creator. He is a creator. And then his masterpiece was you. And what he did that was so profound, he said, let's make man in our image and function and functionality in every regard like him so that you've got this creative streak inside of you and you've got this powerful machinery called imagination, powerful mechanism for creation, for creating. And, and it came because he breathed into Adam his, his spirit, who he is, his being, he breathed that into the nostrils of clay and it became this life-giving being and, and that spirit was passed on through his seed to his sons and all the way to you. So there's a splice of God's heart in you and you'll never be happy unless you're connected to him. You'll never be satisfied unless, unless you're completely connected with him because you're, you're made to be in sync with him. You're made to be with him. You'll never be, never be happy. And that creative ability and that powerful imagination is in you. It's, it's, for, it's so that you can walk by faith. It's so that you can be visionary. It's so that you can be prophetic. God created you to be prophetic. Tell the person next to you, God created you to be prophetic. You're supposed to prophesy. I don't know why you don't. You're supposed to. You're allowed to. You can. He, he's looking for a prophetic people because he's prophetic. He spoke words and worlds into existence. He wants you to proclaim. He wants you to prophesy. He wants you to pray things in the being. If you don't, it won't happen. It's part of God's so meek 
that he's designed this whole thing that you're an integral part in. If, you, if it doesn't leave your lips, it likely won't happen. Other than the things that he's already set in motion that he's had other prophets proclaim in the past. This imagination, here you have this powerful tool. Your, your Labrador retriever doesn't have that because God never breathed into the nostrils of any of the animals. So you come home from work, you never greeted by your lab saying, hey, I fixed that runny toilet, and uh, I, I, you, you had that issue with this, and I solved it, and I came, you want to come on in here to see what I built. He's not doing any of that. He has a powerful soul. He gets lonely. He's emotional. He can love. He's connected. He can thinks about food, sleeping, and sex, reproducing. And, 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 and uh, I've had a lab, and, you know, they're, they're amazing. Ours was very apostolic. He was always on the road. And so, and smart. And we had to guide, we had to, he had quite a vocabulary, that, but there are certain things we couldn't say because he'd hear it and he'd go crazy because he knew what that meant. He knew it meant that we'd get, take him down the river and throw the ball and he'd fetch it. And So if we said something about that, he'd hear it and... Next thing you know, he's running, practically denting the car, running into the car to get in it. He was smart, but he never fixed anything. He never solved any problems. He never thought ahead. He never created anything because he didn't have that part of God that I have. Now, from the time I was a little boy, uh, I've had a, a super powerful imagination. Uh, so much so that uh, I didn't really even need friends to play with. I could create whole worlds and whole, I could create enemies and partners and friends and uh, be chased by a thousand Indians and ride a, a horse that happened to be the one of the arms of the couch and I could lasso the other couch and roll off. My family would sit around watching me and I'd be fighting and going through all by myself. All these, to me, it was very real because I imagined it. I didn't need a real gun. I could shoot with the one I had. And that mechanism got so developed that I, I've made my, my whole livelihood, most of my adult, adult life, from my imagination. I would have ideas, and people would pay me money to give them my ideas. I would create something and come up with a concept that would solve a problem, and they paid me for it. That became my job. And the downside of my powerful imagination is, is that it was easily hijacked, hijacked by my flash that would take me into worlds of fear Worlds of depression and worlds of anxiety. I would worry about things that no child should have to worry about. And I would start looking ahead and start thinking, well, if this happens, then this will happen, then this will happen. And next thing you know, I'm physically anxious, but it's all a thought. None of it was real. And very little of it ever came about the way I imagined it. Meanwhile, my body, my body can't tell whether I'm seeing it or whether I'm seeing it. My body can't tell whether I'm seeing it with my physical eyes, if it's a real scenario, real Indians chasing me. My body can't tell. It would just react. I'd perspire. My heart would 
raise, would go up and, you know, my blood pressure would go up, my cheeks would get red, and my body couldn't tell if I was f seeing real Indians or real bad guys behind rocks. Or, so my body would do what it was designed to do. It would follow my eyes. The trouble is, 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 is my body was reacting physically to stuff that I was seeing with the eyes of my heart. And, I, and this powerful mechanism, this powerful imagination got me in so much trouble. Because I could, I could imagine going into a dark room at night. I could imagine monsters. I could imagine all kinds of stuff. That all you had to do is turn on the light and all that would just simply go away. But from the time I was a little kid, I struggled with incredible fears. And it's been a lifelong battle lifelong weakness that I've just had, I've had to find ways to, to work around. And uh, my battle's not the only battle, I, a lot of people have, and I see my grandkids, I see my kids struggling with the same concepts, the same battles, and I, when you go back to the garden, in fact, let's just take a minute, let's go back, let's go back to Genesis, we're in Genesis 1-1, let's go to Genesis 3, this battle is ancient. There's a battle for your eyes. There's a battle for the eyes of your heart. In chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, says that the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in, in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open. He's not talking about physical eyes. He knew, he says, your eyes will be open." And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the initial battle was about eyes. The initial battle was for her eyes. The biggest battle that you face day by day is for your eyes. Who's going to control them? Who's going to direct them? And if you follow your eyes, you know, you, wherever you place your eyes, the eyes of your heart or even your physical eyes, your feelings follow. They have to follow. And so what the enemy was after with Eve right away, he says, you know, it's not really true. God's just, he just doesn't want you to see. He doesn't want your, your eyes to be open. That's the big issue. And look at verse 6. It says, when the woman saw, so now she's looking with her physical eyes. And the longer she looked with her physical eyes, her, the eyes of her heart follow, and they kick in. Now watch what happens. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, the longer you look at something, the, longer you, the, the, the more you want it. That's, that's why the salesman wants you to get out of your old rusty car, french fries down in, in between the seats and the console's all sticky. And he says, come sit in this car. And you sit in that. He says, take it for a drive. And you smell it, and it's so clean, and it's so nice, and, and you can see, and he says, you look good in that car. You look, it looks like you. This car looks like you. Next thing you know, say you pass on it. You've taken a Dave Ramsey course, and you say, I can't, I can't, I can't buy this car right now. But you get, you get back in your old stinky car, it's a long drive home. The reason is, is your eyes have sensed something. Something on the inside of you has been awakened. 
And that's what salesmen want to do. That's what advertising is. That's what the news media is after. That's what the enemy's after. He wants you to look. He wants you to look twice. He wants you to look long and hard. If he can get your physical eyes to go in a certain direction, your spiritual eyes will often follow. Then your feelings and your desires, the longer she looked, the, the more she wanted it, the more pleasant it looked. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. She saw herself. Man, she, I could see myself. And she got this picture of herself being loaded with wisdom. So she took the fruit and ate it. That little snatch, that little scenario right there is what you and I are dealing with all the time. It's as ancient as time. It goes right back to the garden. It's, the, it's from the beginning. There's a battle for your eyes. There's a battle for your eyes. That's why John, he wrote in 1 John verse 2, verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Uh, while we're in Genesis, let's go to chapter 6. So, you know, Adam and Eve... You know what happened to them. I don't need to preach about that. But here's what come out of that experience. Look at verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Everything in his heart was bent on evil. Here's the message translation. I, I like this one. Listen to this. This won't come up on the screen, but listen to it. God saw that human evil was out of control. People thought evil, imagined evil, 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 evil from morning to night. God was sorry that he made the human race in the first place, and it broke his heart. What he, was, what he was heartbroken over is the powerful machinery that came from him, that was in his heart, that powerful machinery called imagination, the power to meditate, to think of things, think of it from every angle, and then to act on it, to speak it and declare it and do it. That mechanism that is part of his heart was hijacked, hijacked by the fallen nature that came into Adam, and next thing you know, it's rampant, and everything, every waking imagination, every waking thought was, how can I hurt somebody? How can I take their property? They've got a beautiful little garden. How can I take that? His wife's nicer than mine. I'll just take it. I'm stronger. I'm bigger. I'm badder. Genesis chapter 8, if you just want to turn, it's just a page over. Verse 21 after the ark, I mean, God destroyed everything and it says, the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, there will I again destroy every living thing as I've done. 
The imagination of man's heart is evil. It's funny how you can, you can see this in your toddler. Right, you know, he's got this bent towards doing what he wants to do. It's, it's in him. It's there. It's not something that he has to learn. It's, it's within him because it comes from God. There's a war for your eyes. There's a battle for your eyes. So then God sends Jesus to turn all this around, and, and, and something happens where we receive another nature, and it's that conflict. There's a war with inside of us between these two natures, but, but there's a chance that you now have options. You have an opportunity to, to say no to where your eyes want to go and your flesh. You can say no to him. You can deny yourself, that selfish part of you. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, and, and we sang this earlier, and I quoted it, at least a piece of it, during our prayer time. Paul says, uh, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Number one. Number two, the eyes of your understanding. He's not talking about your brain, your, your mind. He's talking about the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Isn't that a profound thing? Paul is praying for their eyes. Paul said, that's the key. If I'm going to pray one thing, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for their eyes. I want their eyes to be open. I want their spiritual eyes. So now my spirit, my spirit, had, which has become born again and alive unto God, has eyes. And that's where God wants to meet me with vision. That's, he wants to stoke my faith. He wants to create, uh, uh, he wants me to be able to see my potential. He wants me to perceive things in the spirit realm. He wants me to perceive him. He wants me to be able to discern. So now I've got a, a fallen nature with inside me that has eyes that's always looking, always looking. I have a new nature, and he says, I'm praying for those eyes. I'm praying that those eyes will be the ones who will dominate your life, those ones that will be in control, the ones that will take you places. Your children struggle with both of these eyes. They struggle. There's a conflict. And uh, we have to help them with that. Oftentimes, the way you can tell whether their flesh is in dominance and they're following the eyes of their flesh or their flesh has hijacked their eyes, however that works out, you can tell because every time their eyes are, are hijacked, you'll see fear, you'll see depression, even in little children, you could see depression behind their eyes. I've gotten to it. I could see it in people's faces. I can tell when they're depressed. Partly because I've had that experience. I know what it feels like just behind your eyes. And, and uh, anxiety, worry, they are, they are the fruits of your flesh hijacking your eyes and taking it in the wrong direction. Every fear you ever experience, every, every discouragement that you feel, 
a sense of being overwhelmed that's happening right now. There are people who are just so sick of the media, so sick of COVID, so sick of all the politics and all the crazy stuff that's going on. It's because we've, en we've engorged ourselves. We've, we've, we've sat down looking, looking to see what we can see, looking for hope, looking for a way out, looking for an answer, looking for a solution. But the media doesn't want to give you solutions. It, want, it, it can keep you too, tied to the tube if it can just string this thing out as long as it can. And have, hopefully you'll follow. They're masters at it. You know what they'll do? You know what they'll do? Mark my words. This, is, this isn't prophetic, but I, it's because I know something of the media. Here's what they'll do. Right now, the pressure is that you be masked everywhere you go. In fact, there, yeah, there are people who take, wear their mask in the shower. I'm sure of it. <laughs> it's a strange thing, driving down 6 o'clock in the morning on Main Street in Penyan, and someone's in the car by themselves wearing their mask. It's, it's crazy. Here's what will happen, as sure as I'm alive, next year, or within, we'll say within two years, but I bet it'll happen next year, the whole thing will turn around and they'll say, uh, the reason you got health issues that won't go away and you can't resolve these health issues in your children is you wore your mask too much. How many know that's true? They, they have to do that. They have to, they have to take whatever they've been promoting, they have to twist it eventually and turn it around and it's the bad thing. It's the butter, it, it's the butter and margarine thing. Growing up, you know, uh, butter was now bad for you and they gave you margarine. They didn't tell you margarine was a man-made synthetic stuff that it wasn't healthy for you to, you know, but butter's bad for you, now you have to go with margarine, then all of a sudden margarine's bad for you, you gotta go back to butter. And they just love playing, pushing those buttons if they can. The psalmist, David, uh, if you want to go to Psalm 101, verse 3, Millie will bring that up on the screen behind us. David's, David's amazing. Uh, David's prophetic. He's called a prophet. Uh, when, they just, when they give his eulogy, they call him a prophet. He is prophetic. He sees he's super creative. He writes. He composes. He creates. He writes songs. He can perceive, he can get in the spirit realm. I mean, they, they said his judgment was just as true as an angel. It was just like standing before an angel. You couldn't put anything over him because he could see. The eyes of his heart were so powerfully developed. It's interesting that the way the enemy brought him down was through his eyes, standing on a rooftop late one night. But David was powerfully prophetic. And... No one wrote more about a struggle with fear and depression than David. And you can say, well, that's that artist thing. You know, if you're going to be an artist, you're going to have to, that's the downside of being an artist. Maybe it is part of the price for that. But, but uh, it's, it's whatever, whatever your strength is, there's going to be this built-in downside, this weakness to it. David determined not to set any wicked thing before his eyes. That's what he says in Psalm 101, verse 3. I, I've determined not to set any wicked thing before my eyes. That's a powerful thing. That'll save you a lot of wear and tear in your soul. Watch your eyes. You almost missed that. Watch your eyes. You have to watch your eyes. David said, I won't set any wicked thing before my eyes. We've we got to watch what we watch. Uh, I, I'm not going to harp on this, but I'm concerned about video games. 
the kids are exposed to where there's a lot of murder and a lot of, a lot of stuff that is, your, their little bodies can't tell. After a while, it'd be just so easy to pull a real trigger. It'd be so easy to, to hate an enemy, even though it's an invisible game, and it's a game and, and all of that. I just think, I think, I think it could do a lot of harm. Uh, that's all I'll say about it. The message translation of Psalm 101, verse 3, says, I refuse to take a second look at corrupting people and degrading things. And it's that second look. And that, that helped me to say what the enemy wants you to do, to, to see something, to see something that's off or odd. That's one thing. You can't, you can't help but see it. You can't help but notice it. All you want to do is watch a sports program or, or a cooking show. That's all you want. And they're inserting stuff in that you can't help but see. So you, you see stuff. But to take a second look, a second look, that's, that's where if we, with, our, with our physical eyes, we take a second look, our, our, the eyes of our heart kick in. And next thing you know, our imagination takes that and, you, and goes off into places that leaves off with what you're seeing. And next thing you know, you're imagining a scenario and you're playing it out in your head. And, and that's how lust is born. That's how, that's how uh, uh, evil desires that, that lead to doing evil, that's where it all happens. And it's often in that second look. And so I just think uh, Eugene Peterson, when he wrote this, he said, I refuse to take a second look. The things that catch me are the second looks. And I'm learning, I'm, I'm trying, I'm being more disciplined to watch for those second looks where you say, oh, just uh, let me go back and look at that and take a, take a harder look at it. You, you don't remember this. I'm sure very few people in the room will remember this. But uh, I remember when very few people had televisions. Maybe one person on the, on your, in your whole neighborhood would have a television. But downtown... Uh, there'd be stores that that's all they sold as television. And what they would do is they'd fill a, a huge, big window, and they'd fill it with televisions all on different channels, or, or if it was a big sp special, they'd, they'd hook them up so they're all on one, one channel at one time. And it was an amazing thing to be walking downtown, and your eye would automatically go to these televisions. Of course, they're selling televisions. They want everyone to have one in their home. And next thing you know, you're walking along, and your eye catches the tele television, and you stop, and you stand, and you look. And there are photographs, and I, I saw this in real life, but there, there are photographs of people sitting on the hoods of cars parked on Main Street watching television. Now, the psalmist in Psalm, Psalm 1, he said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and bring forth fruit in its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. 
someone, this is David again, this is David, and he's got experience with this. He says the key to being successful in life is through the power of meditation. That's you intentionally rolling stuff over in your mind, looking at it from every angle, allowing it, especially, especially when you look at God's word and you, and you read it, and then you close your eyes and you let it take you places and you picture what it's saying and picture what it, what it means and, and allow that to take you places. He says you can't do that unless you can't do that without prospering. You can't do that without growing. You can't do that without being able to sustain during the dry times. It'll, it'll affect your spiritual life. It's the power of meditation, intentional biblical meditation where you're, see, the point is we meditate all the time. Every one of us meditate all the time. You can't stop meditating. But to choose what to meditate on, to be intentional, to turn this off, and then pick up this and say, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to read it, close my eyes, and make a movie. I'm going to let it take me someplace. I'm going to think about that from every angle. I'm going to mull that over. I'm going to savor that. I'm going to imagine that. He says, you can't do that uh, without growing. You'll grow spiritually. It's a powerful, powerful key. You're meditating anyway. It's a matter of being intentional. But he starts this whole thing off talking about um, walking, standing, and sitting. And as I took this section of scripture and as I was thinking about it, I just thought, you know, there are really three stages. You know, you're walking by, and that's what happens in life. That you can't, there's stuff you can't help but see. Just going through life, you will see stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But then to, to be walking by and to stand, to stand, now you're taking that thing in. That's intentional. That's with a little bit more. But then if you sit right down and park right there, you're, you're just consuming it. You're just taking it right in. And that's what advertising's about. That's what the media's about. They're trying to get you to sit, to consume to digest it, to ingest it, to get it inside of you. If you can get it inside you, they can have you. There's a battle for your eyes. And the reason we can know that's true is just put a dipstick in the level of your anxiety, level of stress. Meanwhile, your life's pretty good. Your home's well-stocked. Your family's all healthy. You're, they're all around the table. Everyone's, and you're, and you're going on with the Lord. You're trying to put the kingdom first. But then there's this thing that's always drawing your attention away and trying to take your eyes. There's a battle for your eyes. And if you can get there, and you get down, you go down that road, and you find out you're tense. You find out that you're snarked at the kids. You you're short with the wife and you kick the cat and you, and you stop and you trace that back and you say, it's because I was focused on this. I got thinking about this. That, that thing I saw took me to a place where a frustration took me to a place where I was angry and so I took it out on my family. I, I took it out on the people closest to me. Isn't that amazing how that works? Otherwise, you could say, I've got a good marriage and I love my family and they love me and we're warm, we're well-fed, we're 
Life, life is good. It just depends on where you park your eyes. That's the power, I think, with this Thanksgiving season. Uh, and, I, and I saw people and I heard people just expressing gratitude. We spent a whole evening here just spending time expressing our heart's gratitude. I think when you stop and you look at what you have, you should be nothing but grateful. When you look at reality, just stop and look at reality. Then sit down. Sit down in reality and say, you know, life is good. These are actually, these are actually good days. I have no reason to complain, no reason to be upset, no reason to be angry. Life is actually good. It just depends on where you park your eyes. When I was uh, 16 or 17 years old, I was in business for myself, doing advertisements. I would go around to a customer, and once I showed them a, some of my advertisement and told them how cheap it was, they couldn't say no. You know, So I, I developed my business just turning their eyes on to my stuff. <clears throat> but I remember I took out a little ad in the newspaper, and it was blank, just a little square of white. But then it said, you've been reading a lot, so just rest your eyes here in this blank spot. Penn Clark, Creative Advertising. Well, I got more business from that. Just rest your eyes here. Here's a place just to rest your eyes. You can tell where your eyes have been by your anxiety level, your fear level, and how discouraged you've been. Nobody can fix your eyes for you. God won't. He won't reach in and say, look, this is hurting you. I'm going to redirect your eyes. He won't do that. Your spouse can't. Your spouse can't reach into your head somehow and say, look, I see you're down. I see you're going through a hard time. You're just, you're, you're not happy. But it's because you're looking at, all, let me readjust your eyes. Let me, let me redirect your eyes. They can't do that. Your pastor can't do that for you. Nobody can do that for you but you. Only you. You're the only one who could determine where your eyes or which part of your being has eyes and where they're going to be focused. Do you remember the young guy standing there with Elijah and he said, oh, look at the enemy. We're completely surrounded. There's so many. There's thousands of people set against them. And the old prophet just shook his head and said, Lord, open his eyes. <laughs> and all of a sudden he saw angels with fiery chariots and horses and he says oh there's more with us than there are with them it's just a matter of where he parked his eyes there's a battle for your eyes there's a battle for my eyes some days I, I do better than others but I mean there's a full born battle let me just close with this and we're going to stop <clears throat> I want to pray for a couple of people before we leave here Let's go to what Jesus said, and we'll stop with this. <clears throat> go with me to Luke chapter 21, verses 14 and 15. And if you want to see the same verse in Mark, go to Mark 13, 11, and watch and see how this shapes up. Jesus is talking about difficult times that were coming on the church. He says, therefore, settle it in your hearts to not meditate beforehand on what you'll answer 
For I'll give you a mouth and wisdom with all, at which all your adversaries would not be able to contradict or resist. So he says, you're, you're going to be you're going to be in trouble. There's persecution coming. Don't meditate on how you'll respond, what you're going to say, how you're going to get out of this, how you're going to fix their wagon, how you're going to argue your point. He said, don't meditate. The idea of meditation here in this verse is this whole thing of rolling around in your mind, thinking on it from every angle, imagining a scenario where you're standing there and you say, this, if they say this, this is what I will say. They'll do this and then I'll say this and I'll counter this. How many just get wore out doing that? All the hands in this room can go up, I expect. You got a court case pending. You got, you got a conflict with someone. You're thinking, if I run into them, if I see them, they'll say this, I'll say this. And that. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't meditate on what you respond. Here's, he says, this is what you do. In the moment, there'll be grace and there'll be an answer that they can't gainsay nor resist. There's the Holy Spirit will give you what you need. And I, I can't tell you how many times that has helped me just to pull out of the process where normally I'd be on that treadmill until worn out, losing sleep. But, but I can say, ah, I'll just wait. The Holy Spirit will give me what I need in the moment. And when I say that, when I believe that, I put that... All of a sudden, I'm free, free from that treadmill. Now, here's what Mark's uh, little twist on it, Mark 13, 11. He says, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate, premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak, for it is not you who speaks, but it's the Holy Spirit. What a powerful, powerful thing. But it's the phrase pre-meditate, pre-meditate. So meditation is, a, is something you're doing all the time. I do it all the time. It's a gift. It's a mechanism. It comes from the heart of God. It's to problem solve. It's to create. It's, it's, for, it's for arts. It's for vision. It's for so many, so many good things. But it's possible to get hooked into it where you're actually pre-meditating the outcome Premeditating your response, premeditating what you'll do. And if it wears you out, you stop and say, okay, I'm premeditating. Jesus said, don't. Jesus told me not to. He won't come to your prayer closet. He won't come into your house and grab you by the shirt and say, hey, I told you not to. He won't. He might remind you when you're worn to a frazzle and you have no more patience and you're burned out and then you cry out to him for help and he'll say, I told you not to do that. He might do that. But his word is plain. His word says, just don't do it. Just don't go there. You don't have to premeditate. Don't, don't wonder how you're going to respond. In the moment, there's grace. In the moment, you'll have the right thing to say. Not only the right thing, but the best thing to say. Your mind will be fresh. The Holy Spirit will be coming out because you're free. You're not hooked up on, you're not having to be dug out of some pit of despair and discouragement. And the Holy Spirit can use you. You'll have what you need in the moment. And that's true of paying bills. You can take this out of context in, the, in, a, in a safe way where it's not just talking about persecution. 
It could be conflict. It could be what you're going to say to the police, what you're going to say to your husband when he comes home and the car's dented up. I mean, it could apply to many things. Anything where you're anxious, anything where you're spinning out of control, and that powerful, powerful tool that God created for good is being used against you. You can tell it's being used against you by the level of worry, fear, discouragement, depression, anxiety. You don't have to look any further. That's all the proof you need to know that your, your eyes have been hijacked. Welcome to the club. Moms and dads, if you knew this, if you knew this to be true, if you knew this to be biblical, if you knew it by experience, this, I'm just giving you right now powerful, powerful tools to help your kids. When you see that they're anxious, you see that they're afraid, you see they're having nightmares, there's stuff you can do to, to work with that. If you understood what the mechanism is on the inside of them that has been hijacked and, and be able to redirect their eyes and turn their eyes into a different direction and show them how big God is, how much he cares, how much he loves them, how, how powerful the angels are that are provided for us to look after. There's things you can do to help your children so they're not ravished by fear and discouragement. They're listening to you. They're listening to your anxiety. They pick it up, and next thing you know, they're seeing stuff with their own little eyes that they shouldn't be exposed to. Let's stop here.